listening to Unlimited Hangout, a podcast available exclusively on rockfin.com. I'm your host, Whitney Webb. Today, I am joined by Ryan Christian of The Last American Vagabond to discuss Operation Warp Speed, the Trump administration's public-private partnership to develop, distribute, and administer a COVID-19 vaccine to at least 300 million Americans by January of next year, as well as the recent censorship of the Last American Vagabond YouTube channel. I have been collaborating with Ryan and the rest of the team at The Last American Vagabond to produce a series of articles and video reports aimed at exposing Operation Warp Speed, which is operating under the utmost secrecy and is being led by the U.S. military and intelligence communities. This is despite the fact that Warp Speed is officially operating as a civilian public health initiative during peacetime for American taxpayers and funded by American taxpayers. Today, we will be touching on a lot of our recent reporting and some new revelations about the operation, as well as the disturbing parallels between Operation Warp Speed and DARPA's former Total Information Awareness, or TIA, program, which was originally implemented in the aftermath of the September 11th attacks and officially dismantled just a few years later due to public pushback over the program's gross violations of American civil liberties. So for those of you who may not know Ryan, he is the editor-in-chief and founder of The Last American Vagabond, which publishes, publishes articles from people like myself, Derek bros and others it also produces a new show available formerly on youtube but now available on other multimedia platforms uh, and it is called the daily wrap-up and it details the most underreported and controversial yet important stories that get completely ignored or skewed by the mainstream media so thanks for joining me today ryan my pleasure thanks for having me on so before we get into warp speed and all of the stuff we've been doing there, I think it makes sense to go over the recent news about the deplatforming of the Last American Vagabond YouTube channel by Google, who ultimately owns YouTube. So can you uh, let my listeners know a little bit of uh, what has happened in the past uh, 24 hours or so? Yeah, yeah. I, in in you know the sake of brevity, since I'm sure play, people have heard this to some degree already. It, it, bottom line is the 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 web the YouTube channel, the main YouTube channel for the Last American Vagabond was unceremoniously just deleted. No email, no notification, no appeal process. Just suddenly gone. And I found out from somebody else on Twitter. And then when I went to go take to Twitter to say, hey, this was happening, I got about five or six messages out before my Twitter was locked as well. So obviously it's coordinated. And then I came to find out that even, I, what, it turns out that I'm actually banned at a Google level, which I'm wondering right now is affecting my, my Gmails as well. I'm still trying to find that out. But if I can't log into either my main account or even my backup account that I had, which is not even connected with the t other T-Lab channel, it just says that I'm blocked on the Google, from the Google side. So it just shows you at this level, like there's no there's no legal even justification to come after the backup channel, right? They just are assuming that and and blocking it as well. And it's just there's no there's no transparency, there's no actual process, you know. And they just knocked it off the edge. And truly, truly, it's sort of motivating. I, I kind of woke up and said, you know, when this first happened, and I found out, it kind of just said, you know what, like this is the beginning, right? This is this is no this is not the end of something. This is the start of something new. And I think that's how we all need to kind of perceive it. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. I think a lot of what they try and accomplish with this deplatforming stuff is is um, 
not just trying to hamper your reach, obviously, but it's also an attempt to demoralize uh, you and, and other people that are deplatformed as well. And, try, and, you know, it's sort of the same end as, you know, smears and mainstream media of people like Vanessa Bealey and all of that um, recently. You know, it's all aimed at trying to keep you from, discourage you from doing what you're doing, right? And so the obvious response to that is to come back harder than ever uh, because they wouldn't be doing this to people like you and me or Vanessa or other people if we weren't having a huge impact, right? So I definitely think it is uh, right to feel empowered by what's going on because obviously, um, you know, they they view you and, uh, you know, other people they do this to as as a threat to uh, the narrative control. And I think it's uh, very interesting that just before all of this happened uh, to the Last uh, Last American Vagabond YouTube channel, uh, we had published, well, my article was published on the Last American Vagabond website that was about Google and Operation Warp Speed, their previously unreported involvement in that program and the Warp Speed plan to surveil and, and track everyone that gets that vaccine, which could be as many as 300 million Americans, um, obviously has major uh, privacy concerns there because, you know, uh, Google collabor- collaborated closely with the NSA uh, for the PRISM spying program, has been known to uh, use users' data in- illegally in ways they weren't supposed to. And now we have them, um, you know, YouTube is one of their subsidiaries is owned by Google and they have used it to silence information about them that they apparently do not like. I find it very uh, interesting, the timing of all of this. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I mean, it's it's such an obvious and insulting conflict of interest to have Google being a, a, an official part of the program in regard to the vaccines and then having them, their Google's YouTube, censoring information around those vaccines. And it's the point that we made when we were on the show last time, that we're talking about something that has yet to even come to pass. These are things that are still being evaluated. So there are, they're, they're setting the, the discussion before it's even there that you can't even discuss whether these things may be dangerous as people are having negative side effects. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, from a legal perspective, we have to see how incredibly off the rails that is. Yeah, totally. I mean, it sets the precedent that a product, uh, criticism of a product can be censored on YouTube before it's even licensed or approved or taken to market. Um, really, really, I don't know. It, it just seems so insane to me, but y- you know, it's really not when you consider that a lot of these social media companies especially Google essentially function as arms of the state. You have Google contracting for the US intelligence community, for the US military, um, you know, numerous different aspects of, uh, you know, different US federal agencies contract with Google. So, you know, there's obviously a conflict of interest there. So, you know, this could easily be applied their attempt to control the flow of information and, and censor what they don't like. You know, they they're, they essentially, it's state censorship at the end of the day, because there's a lot of, there's just too many conflicts of interest with Google. They're so massive. They're a monopoly on in, in a lot of ways. And, you know, we had this um, <clears throat> relatively recently, you know, you, the William Barr come out and announce that he's going to have this antitrust lawsuit with Google, but it's only focused on the search engine. It's only focused on Google search and saying they only have a monopoly as a search engine. I don't think that's true at all. I think they have a monopoly on a lot of other things as well um, between them and Apple. Uh, For example, with, uh, you know, smartphone operating systems, just being one example, you basically had to choose between Google's Android or you could choose between, you know, the Apple iPhone. And that's really, you know, all you can choose between. I mean, that stuff 
obviously not a, a free market in in the you know ideal sense, right? So it's um you know uh, the monopoly is much more far reaching, and a lot of it has to do also with the control of of information, especially when it comes to Google, not just through the search engine but through YouTube, which because of the um you know what we've seen in the past several years the complete cratering of public trust in mainstream media has has led a lot of people to get their news from YouTube as opposed to cable news. And now, uh, because of the deplatforming, hopefully we'll be seeing a lot more people that had made that jump make a new jump into some of these alternative platforms that are not censoring like Google's YouTube. And I think, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, this practice by YouTube will end up uh, hurting their business model and their bottom line. Uh, to a yeah. significant degree. Um, I really hope that's the case anyway. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I, I think, I mean, what we need to think about, first of all, this whole antitrust thing, I think is another, it's just another ploy. I mean, they've brought this up numerous times. Nothing ever amounts from it. But what I think they want to drive it into is the discussion where, as usual, that the government needs to step in and fix the problem that the government created, right? Of course, <laughs> And so, but the the argument is we do not need more government influence. We need less. That's the that's what it needs to come down to. But in that same vein, we need to realize the the analogy does still apply. That you know this would be the equivalent of all those years ago of them coming in your house and saying, oh, you can't have these books, or or listening to your phone conversations on the telephone and saying, oh, chiming in, going, oh, you can't talk about that. Your phone call's done, right? That's what this is. But we don't need more government influence because that's why that problem exists, right? But so they want to argue that they need to come in and regulate the new town square, and all that does is give censorship control to the very people that created this problem, you know. But yeah. the analogy is still sound, and what they're doing this is this is digital book burning, you know. We should have the ability to have these conversations, I, I, even if you even if it's wildly unsourced and just a random conspiracy theory that should be allowed too. But then you come to the stuff that we're doing, where I'm literally painstakingly showing you on the show like. Here's the document. Here's where it literally says what I'm talking about, right. you know, and then they censor it anyway, right? It's it's staggering. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's really unprecedented in a, in a big way. And I think, you know, in terms of this antitrust case about the search engine as an example, I think what Bill Barr is pushing for here is to take Google search down a peg and perhaps introduce a new search engine that rivals Google that is either, you know, publicly man federally managed or you know something similar to that and i think you know this push to end the monopoly of the social media companies they're going to try and do something similar as well because bill barr historically over the past you know several years has been pushing for things like the end of encryption getting the government a permanent backdoor into all encrypted communications whether it's email or messaging apps or anything like that. So I don't really think that's a guy that's interested in protecting, um, you know, freedom of speech and things like that, especially when he's also been setting up this predictive policing pre-crime program. So I think people should be very wary of trying to get uh, the Department of Justice involved in um, antitrust suits at this point in time, given its current leadership um, and the leadership it would have, regardless of who wins the upcoming election. It's not like Biden's going to put in anyone uh, better than, than William yeah. Barr, you know, I, so. I, I would add to it's interesting on that note that we, they actually just today updated the summary on the Earn It Act 
on the legislation page. Oh, of course. And, and it says exactly <laughs> this is exactly the topic, right? They're using child exploitation as as a as a cover to to basically have a backdoor from encryption. And it says right on there that they are setting standard practices for 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 online for, for the uh, the platforms. And all it does is create their ability to control it even further using something that people care about, you know. And and you're right; these are the last people that would be doing something for our benefit. And a point that I brought up on Jason's show this morning was the same the same the analogy of standard oil right and and is it really in our benefit for them to break this thing up right and the idea being that the the analogy in standard oil which james corbett has documented extensively on who why how big oil and why big oil took over the world that standard oil wanted to be broken up but they sold the illusion to people that they that you know the monopoly that we need to stop and ultimately when they broke up that monopoly it it cemented the Rockefeller the 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 Rockefellers as the most richest and most powerful entity on the planet, right? And so that and that's that's what they wanted to happen. So we should ask that same question: Is that what they're doing here when they break it up and Bill Barr introduces whoever introduces a new search engine? Is that just another aspect that they also control? It's the illusion of something different. Yeah, you know? and I think the timing is interesting too because it's coming after all of this YouTube censorship that previously right. to the last American Vagabond being taken out, it was like Trump supporters last week that were targeted by this. And so a lot of those QAnon people, for example, right, that were taken down last week can now point to this Bill Barr uh, announcement of the antitrust thing and say, look, they're going to take down Google because of the YouTube censorship. They really do care about us and they really are fighting the deep state and all of this stuff, right? Not unlike the stuff that happened with like, you know, the Ghislaine Maxwell arrest, for example, or Jeffrey Epstein's arrest last year. I think a lot of it has to do with damage control. They have to look like they're doing something um, and look like they're investigating something to maintain the illusion that the government and the system is still working for the people when in fact we know that the extent of the corruption is just so extreme. There's, and especially with someone like William Barr at the helm, there's like no way that's what's happening because the guy is a career CIA mop-up man and cover-up artist, you know? So (laughs) it's not like he's going to do anything different now. And since Google was essentially created in a lot of ways by the CIA through NQTEL and in other means, um, it's very unlikely that he would go about dismantling Google unless that's something the same people that are behind Google at the end of the day want him to do because he's worked for them since the 70s. Uh, that was his first job in his quote unquote legal career was as a, you know, a legal counsel for the CIA. He was involved in stonewalling the church committee and preventing CIA records from being made public during investigations into the CIA's, um, you know, wrongdoings over a series of decades and he's continued to do that his whole career so would he do that now to um you know google which is has been of great use to u.s intelligence um over the past 20 years or so i mean i don't i don't buy it i don't either i mean if you want any example on whether or not they're going to follow up with something that they're hinting at doing for their supporters, just look at the Clintons. Look at the aspect of of the, the the gentleman from Boston that sat in front of Congress and just laid it all out. Here is how the Clintons run their foundation. It's like a Peggy Bank. They're basically, you know, and everything they showed us and nothing ultimately amounted from it. Even from the last time they brought up this idea of the of the antitrust, nothing amounted from it. Right? They do this all the time. I mean, it's they say things a lot. They say they're leaving Syria. They say they're I mean, they're they're doing a lot of things that ultimately end up changing because of some excuse, right? So we just, the last thing we should believe is that they're actually going to follow through with something that 
unless, you know, the argument being that it's something that they ultimately wanted to do and it's a problem reaction solution scenario. Right. It's just well, their interests are their own. It's not about what we want or what betters the American society. Yeah, but I think the standard oil analogy is really apt here because I think actually Google may finally be in that type of position where it actually, uh, they want to lose some of the monopoly in right. search engines, for example, to focus their attention elsewhere. For example, their recent, uh, the recent series of partnerships that they have made with the military, for example. Maybe they want to focus more of their attention on their uh, growing ties. I would really argue it's a fusion uh, with the Pentagon at this point, because, you know, as we've talked about a lot, you have Former CEO Google Schmidt, uh, uh, sorry, former Google CEO Eric Schmidt, uh, leading the modernization efforts at the Pentagon, essentially directing Pentagon policy in that regard to a significant degree. You had Google and the Pentagon seal a deal last month to develop predictive healthcare diagnosis algorithms that predict you, uh, predict you will develop a disease before you even develop it, right? And then you have Google teaming up with Operation Warp Speed, which is also a military military-led initiative and all of this stuff. So maybe they just want to focus on different things like smart cities even too um, through Google's Sidewalk Labs and things like that or other subsidiaries of theirs that are more involved in a lot of this, you know, technocratic uh, takeover and surveillance grid that they're trying to set up. And, you know, maybe they don't want the search engine thing anymore. And then if they have it publicly broken up by the Department of Justice, they can all pat themselves on the back and say, oh, we've done a, a, you know, a great thing for the American consumer today and all of this stuff, while at the same time, Google is deepening its ties to the government more than ever and has essentially, you know, fused with them. I think, you know, that's definitely possible. And I think the standard oil metaphor there is very apt because, of course, after that was broken up, the Rockefellers uh, spread their influence well beyond oil. You know, for example, setting up, uh, you know, helping set up the American Medical Association, really uh, re revolutionizing, I would argue, in a negative sense, uh, the American healthcare system and the pharmaceutical industry, right, and things like that. And that was just one aspect of how the Rockefellers expanded after the breakup of Standard Oil. So maybe, yeah, Standard Oil started in big oil, but what, have the Rock what did the Rockefellers ex expand into after Standard Oil was broken up? And I think Google started with Google Search, but they've definitely become much more than that since then. Absolutely. And that's the best way to look at this is that we're talking about, it's about what it amounts to, right? The, the surface level picture shows you some things, but at the end of the day, if it amounts to more control, more censorship, more, you know, it, it, it doesn't really matter what ultimately ends up happening. And that's that's what the illusion is there for. And we keep talking about these public, the private public partnerships. And that seems to be another way that this could be happening, right? I mean, it's very easy for them to cover what to what degree the government or Google is involved with these projects if they can continue to sort of lessen it out with, you know, you can't have FOIA requests, you can't look into what's going on, it's private, right? But it's, we know that these things are essentially it's a government cover in the, in a way, right? And so this could be the same idea. And we just ultimately would never really know to what degree these are owned by the original subsidiary, the original entity like a Google, and it just gets watered down as public-private right. partners, you know? Yes, you know, there's so many initiatives that the government is not, it, that it's the, nominally the government in charge, right? That are spearheading these initiatives and they seem to all be public-private partnerships. And that's not just Operation Warp Speed. I mean, there's a ton of them. Um, I mean, I, I'm sure if you do a, like a news search and like some, you know, news database, like even like Google News or something, if you want to use that, but screw Google. <laughs> but there, there's 
there's other ones. But, you know, if you wanted to search for public-private partnership in there, I'm sure you'd find uh, plenty of them. Because I know just in my own research, I've just come across public-private partnership after public-private partnership. And it seems to be the new way to get things done. Because what the government argues in these cases, their official justification, right, as well, it's faster. Because there's so much bureaucratic red tape at the government. I mean, it's a very Reagan-era argument, you know, that we have to team up with the private sector because we'll get things done faster. Actually, even though uh, they say that, there's actually no evidence that the methodology they're using in these public-private partnerships actually speeds up anything. But as you pointed out, what it does end up doing is that um, the requirements that government, the government legally has to follow for disclosing information or making things readily uh, available through Freedom of the Information Act requests, all of that can change when it's a public-private partnership because the corporate the corporate side of that can either yell yell about intellectual property. We can't release this because it threatens our intellectual property and our advantage in the market and all of this stuff. Um, you know, and then they don't have to release Freedom of Information Act requests, or you can have what's been going on with Operation Warp Speed, where you have it funneled through a, um, you know, a third-party entity, one of these quote-unquote government-funded think tank research uh, groups. Um, they're, they're, I honestly don't really know how to categorize them, but the one that's being used in Operation Warp Speed is Advanced Technology International, which is owned by another uh, similar organization called Answer, and then you have the ones like the MITRE Corp. Corporation, the Rand Corporation, you know, the the research and development entities that are essentially run by former government officials and former defense or uh, intelligence contractors um, and things like that all coming together to do R&D on behalf of the government. So it's, you know, a whole nother level to, you know, the quote unquote deep state, as people like to say these yeah. days, um, coming in there. And those groups are obviously not transparent because though they used to work in government, many much of their leadership, they don't anymore. And they a lot of them are registered as nonprofits um, and things like that, but they're also not um, required to uh, respond to Freedom of Information Act requests in the way that government agencies are. So it seems to be the main motive here is to obfuscate access of, of records and information and things of what's going on in these initiatives to the public and Operation Warp Speed. Definitely, that definitely seems to be the case because you have one of the leaders of that, this guy named um, Lieutenant General Paul Ostrowski, essentially saying, well, you know, these contracts are between the government, the contracting entities, and the corporations, and you cannot see them, but you might be able to see them at some point. We'll think about it. You know, that's basically his approach to it, you know, kicking the can down the line. But because of the way it's set up, these a lot of these public-private private partnerships are set up, you know, they can do that and get away with it. And it, it's kind of amazing, too, that um, since that information came out, um, you know, it was originally reported by NPR, and then, you know, of course, we covered it, but not many outlets did, but you even had a group of congressmen call to have uh, those vaccine contracts released, and they were not, and they are not going to be released, at least not until after Operation Warp Speed happens, and after all those vaccines that are in these secret contracts are administered to people, right? That's so, I mean, that should be scandalous, and in and of itself, right? It, it really should be. I mean, that's incredibly alarming. It just shows you, you know, where's the real power lie here, you know? And this is one of the things I really like about some of the research you've done on this topic is showing 
the people involved here, not even just from the government, like people involved in these public-private partnerships, people that once were, you know, military-industrial complex lobbyists or people in government positions, or, you, you know, you can paint this very clear picture that almost all of these people are either military-tied or some, type, some kind of contractor where they're driving this policy. I mean, a good example is someone like Esper, you know, used to work with, with Raytheon. And now he, here he is directing policy that clearly benefits his former employer. You know, right. and, and so this is, a, you look at any one of these these partnerships that we've already looked at, like people, you know, these ones we, we went over on the show, you know, the, the Hepburns or these different people involved, you can see that there is a, a, a kind of this just very, not even just barely covered just underneath the surface this whole military agenda that's being driven right underneath this all and it's and it's obviously benefiting so many of these agendas that we've been covering on the shows that they've been trying to push in from before and so it just makes this a lot the question we should be asking right who is actually in charge of all of this right is it donald trump's administration is it something that we're not seeing because it seems pretty clearly that every, the government can stand up and be like we need to see those and it just doesn't happen that's incredible. yeah well, you know, that's what's uh, really crazy about these vaccine contracts, too, with Warp Speed is that HHS, which is supposed to be half of Warp Speed, um, they claim they don't have any records of right. the of the of the contracts. Um, and D the Department of Defense won't say if they have records. So, I mean, that that's just so insane that HHS claims to have no records of the vaccine contracts. I mean, that's the Department of Health and Human Services. Right. That's supposed to oversee the approval of these products and they don't even have a record of the contract. I mean, that's totally insane, though. I totally I, I think, um, if I get real quick. I think they're kind of playing like a shell game with this the same way that Trump has been doing with his policy in general, where even like, for instance, with the lockdowns where he he go, you know, he sets the national state of emergency and then says, well, the governors make their choices. And so suddenly he's no longer responsible for what was going on. Right. You can see the same kind of thing happening here where they kind of play this shell game with responsibility. Where you don't really know who you should be holding accountable, even though all of them, right? That's the it's the same as a two-party paradigm. Your government is the one doing this to you, not the Democrats or the Republicans, but all of it. And if we can't, you know, they get you focusing on one little entity. Is it the FDA? Is it the HHS? Is it the CDC? You know, and it, the point is all of them. All of this is happening because they're choosing to make it that they're accountable to you as the American people. They're using your money to make these things, and yet they pretend like they're not obligated to show you. That should yeah. show us all we need to know. I know. And, 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 you know, they couldn't get away with this if it wasn't for the complicity of mainstream media. I mean, the, the head of Operation Warp Speed, who's, you know, the former uh, head of GlaxoSmithKline's vaccine division, right? He he has given some, made some really, I mean, when I read some of his interviews, I was just taken aback at how, like, out in the open he was about certain things, you know? And... Um, like, like my most recent article about, about Google and Operation Warp Speed, how Google and Oracle are going to track and surveil by still unspecified means every American that gets the COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, you think civil liberty advocates or someone would be like concerned about that or some sort of, you know, if he, if Monsef Salawi openly admits and calls it a tracking system, right, yeah. and that everyone's going to get it. You know, um, don't you think the journalist interviewing him would be like, so can you elaborate on that at the very least or just kind of be like, wait, hold up. That seems extreme. That seems very unprecedented for a public health initiative, um, you know, to quote unquote end the pandemic and all of this stuff. Um, 
but the guy in the Wall Street Journal was just like, oh, very good. On to the next thing. You know, <laughs> I mean, there, there was like no pushback at all. I mean, a, a clear example of just how so many of these mainstream media hacks are nothing better than stenographers, really. Like, OK, I'm going to interview you and it's going to be exactly what you want me to say. And I'm going to let you say it exactly how you want. And I won't push back at all. And I will dutifully report it to the public. You know, it's a press release, essentially, is what it is. Totally. You know how many examples we have, even just in recent history, of, of sh showing that the, these mainstream interviews are completely coordinated and scripted. They have questions. They go back and forth. Like that's that's it's that's been so many times that's come out that where they, they continue to show us that there is obvious coordination between the interviews and the people they're speaking with, which shows you that they're trying to coordinate a very specific message, which is just simply not journalism. Right. I mean, absolutely. And, 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 you know, that's why I find it so incredible, too, that that's how mainstream media operates. And they claim to be the arbiters of truth and that everyone like us are fake news. Right. And so they right. censor us for being so-called, you know, misleading and misinforming or whatever, because we disagree with the official, you know, state lines or the corporate executives they're interviewing and not pushing back at all. So we're essentially they say that they're informing the public, but they're only informing the public with the official opinions of the people they should be holding accountable and then right. people like you and me are like hmm, these people are clearly committing crimes you know and then they're like mm, you're fake news because you disagree <laughs> with what the criminals say <laughs> it really is i mean it's it's we ha you can only laugh because it's that macabre like in a macabre way like they're these people are literally war criminals right i mean they're whether we're talking COVID 19 and what they're doing to your life and your job and, and your life expectancy or just their foreign policy and the bombing of nations and you know this is these people are literally doing these things in plain and open daylight and like you're saying they're coming in and just parroting exactly what their talking points are do you remember when journalism used to actually have multiple sources and not just u.s intelligence that we can't name right i mean where, how, yes. how officials say u.s yeah. intelligence says and that's the whole article yeah i've seen so many of those um in the past year especially on what they're um what they've been setting up for the 2020 election i mean half the time it'll be like a single u.s official they'll name and they'll be like this u.s official said that russia will hack us you know and he says right. like one sentence he doesn't provide any evidence and that's like a whole article but they get that big headline out there yeah right that they can trumpet all over social media and most people that see that on twitter or, some, or facebook or whatever just read the headline and the subtitle and that's it right and uh yeah. You know, they, they get the effect they want. But if you actually read that stuff, a lot of those things just cite either anonymous U.S. officials or people with obvious conflicts of interest. You know, like, for example, the, the hack of Gilead um, over Remdesivir, allegedly, allegedly by I Iran, right, was flagged by people who are very open about wanting the U.S. to get involved in a war with Iran, right? That's so why why would we trust them, Right. If, right. if they're sure it's Iran, if you actually look at their evidence for them saying it's Iran, they say, well, these hackers used a tactic that seems like something Iran would have done with this previous group <laughs> that may have actually been not Iranian, but we think it was with a high probability. You know, they say God. stuff like that and you're just like, OK, uh, why is the quote unquote journalist that wrote this piece not, you know, asking for real evidence, you know, and just taking their word for it. I mean, it tells you a lot about about these headlines and these these groups and these these power factions and how they've been able to do what they have. It's because uh, to a large extent, a lot of the quote unquote authoritative news sources are full of shit. 
Yeah, I mean, if you can literally go on and write an entire article and have it parroted and promoted by the entirety of Western media, and all you're saying is that this thing looks like something they might have done, says someone. That's your story? Like, that's actually, I mean, that's that's what that is. And that's, I really believe that's almost the entirety of mainstream media today. Now, and I hate to keep using this example because I've used it so many in the past, but when you see somebody like a Barry Weiss who goes on Joe Rogan and can barely maintain a conversation about what's actually going on, it just and that is somebody who is you know who's who's hyped up and pushed up as you know I mean the, the, they just know they're supposed to parrot certain comfortable talking points and if they do they'll get promoted and and that continues to promote a cycle of people that go into the line of work because that's how they see it working and so on like Noam Noam Chomsky's made this point numerous times you know they wouldn't be in that position if they didn't already hold very specific views and be you know morally ambiguous. Right, right. Willing, willing to do what's necessary to keep the job and keep climbing the corporate ladder. I mean, right. you know, it, I mean, that's not just true for mainstream media. That's true for, you yeah. know, corporate America in, in general, I would say. But of course, the media has a different role than a lot of those other corporations. You know, media corporations claim to be informing the public and people, unfortunately, in the U.S. still by a, a lot of people anyway, think they do that, though. Um, you know, we, we have seen in the last several years trust in mainstream media crater. And I honestly think because of everything that's been going on with the COVID-19 narrative, we're really getting to a point where uh, that trust is really about to irreparably break. Um, and I hope so. You know, what do you think about the, the idea that it might already have been broken? Right. Like I, I, I've been bringing this oh, it's up possible. Almost, almost a year now or more like. We have to remember that our only the only thing that we get today that can give us like some kind of an image of what we think is the, you know, either nationwide or worldwide perspective, it all comes from mainstream media. Right. So even when we know that people are aggressively thinking, you know, saying they're fake news, they don't believe them, <clears throat> that at the same time, they're still promote pushing themselves out as the the majority, whether it's 50 percent or 70 percent, they're pushing themselves out as the majority. I've always questioned about whether that itself was the illusion and the people within mm. it are all telling themselves, well, I, you know, you got this strong percentage of people like us that see it. We know it. We scream about it. But then you've got the, the majority of people, I think, that are in the middle where they're not sure. They still take the mainstream perception as reality and think to themselves they don't want to be the fringe. They don't want to be seen as a conspiracy theory, so they stay quiet. You know, I just mm -hmm. I, I think that we need to ask that. Maybe we've already been here, and all we need to do is stand up and realize that we're already there. Yeah, and you know, I, I'm glad you said that because I think that is um, a really good point, and I think that's definitely very possible because a lot of what the mainstream media does is they try and manipulate perception, right? And so, you know, it, that's not just true when they have reported documented falsehoods, for example, or tried to do obvious psyops, or like, you know, where they tried to pass off that gun rage in Kentucky as being a battlefield in Syria, right, right. and things like that. I mean, that that is clearly all about um, manipulating perception, but also a lot of what they do, you know, in claims of their authoritative status and all of that stuff to make people think that they are right and to maintain um you know hold on to an era like in the past you know before the internet where really mainstream media was all there was at least for the vast majority of americans you know they sort of want to get back to that golden age for them right and so they're using silicon valley censorship to to try and get there i think to a big degree but you also see that perception manipulation with polling right and we saw this in a huge way in the lead up to the 2016 election where all the polls were insanely wrong and gave clinton this huge win 
and made it, you know, I, I can't remember. I think it was like the New York Times. They said it was like a 90% chance or something yeah. Clinton was going to win. And then, bam, you know, I, it was all about manipulating perception and making people think a Clinton victory was inevitable, right? And But it wasn't. it clearly wasn't based in reality. It was all about perception. I, I totally agree with that. And I, some people, I don't, people, that seems to be something that people don't really push into. But I truly think that the point was... From an up, up a top down level, I bet these half these anchors don't even know what they're reading before they read it. In my opinion, so but I think that from a top down level, they did it. So <laughs> they're like Ron Burgundy's. <laughs> totally, that's the yeah. best analogy possible, right? But but I think what they were trying to do is just get people to think that she had already won, so Trump supporters may not vote, or they may just end up voting for Clinton because well, I don't want to waste my vote. Like I think that's what they were like a last ditch effort in hopes they could sway the vote. That's what I think. Well, unless that that was the plan, which is also something we should consider. Possible, but I think it was all about trying to manipulate perception for some sort of end like that, if it was election yeah. ma manipulation or not. And, you know, I think we're seeing that to a degree now, but I think now the election, of course, is different because they're trying to set up this narrative about regardless of who wins, there will be doom and chaos that will reign upon the U.S. and all of this stuff, you know, or they're yeah. getting quite apoca apocalyptic about about that, but you know, by and large, they do uh, shill for Biden in a way that would normally, uh, you know, is just so clown world. It's uh, hard to fathom sometimes when you consider just how uh, bad of a candidate he is. You know, I didn't think they could yeah. run anyone worse than Hillary Clinton, but uh, <laughs> you know, the the Biden Harris ticket is is pretty darn close. So you're right. It's if really not worse. Bad. <laughs> oh yeah, this sniff, sniffy Joe Biden, and you know, I mean, like these people are the like. If you would have put these people at a different time, like even just before 2016, like it would have been, they would have been laughed out. It's, I it's know, a joke. like the senile hair smeller and the top cop, you know. Right. But I mean, the stuff with Joe Biden and his weird discussions of children and the hair on his legs and the touching children appropriately. I mean, that's like an absolute no-go zone. They never. I mean, they would have avoided him like the plague. I think unless. They wanted to lose. They really believe that. Like, how can you pot? There's well, any number of candidates they could have picked that would have been a, a better chance, in my opinion. Well, you know what I've noticed watching this, though? I feel like there are several instances you can point to for both Biden and Trump where it just seems like neither of them care about winning at all. Yeah, and I right. think that's because of what we've talked about, about how it doesn't really matter who wins yeah. this election. They're planning for the same chaotic outcome regardless of who wins. And they're, right. you know, setting up and gaming out and simulating scenarios where no one is declared a winner. There is no president elect on inauguration day and implying that the military will have to come and step in. Well, yeah, if that's what they want as the end result, it doesn't matter which candidate wins. And sometimes it really seems like both Biden and Trump kind of know that's where things are going and neither of them care because they know it doesn't really matter. And and they're just playing their respective roles in this, you know, huge, you know, honestly, I think it's, you know, just theater, really, of trying yeah. to maintain the illusion that the election is real and keep people from, uh, you know, trying to herd people into this uh, situation they're trying to manifest. I agree. I mean, it's it screams endgame to me, right? Like the idea that they don't care, it screams like we've been saying that this feels like the end of something. Like this is the, they're driving this in at all costs for whatever reason. And I always make this point that I think I've said to you before that I, it's almost laughable to think that every single time they simulate this stuff from years back to now, whether Israel does it, whether our government does it, whether it's the UK, every single, not a single time has it ended up going, oh, well, it all worked out. Perfect. 
right? Every time you simulate that we're all going to die and it's going to be chaos. It's like they're telling you literally what they're going to happen. And I mean, as you, you actually just sent me something earlier today, but I've been seeing more of these pop up like crazy. Where, like where I just saw an interview on, I believe it was ABC, where the lady again said something about the dark winter. There's oh my another, gosh. I have something on New York Post that came out on the 19th. Is that today? Yeah, it's yesterday. And it says right here, coming weeks will be, quote, the darkest of COVID-19. Like they keep, keep driving this in. <laughs> it's like that's going to be right over the election period. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, they're intentionally arming this uh, perfect storm, I guess, for just to create as much chaos as possible. I think it's very likely, too, that we're going to see some sort of economic event as well, um, mm -hmm. because all of this ultimately, as you and I know, we've talked about before, you know, is driving towards this whole World Economic Forum Great Reset Agenda. Of course, that involves this um, the this digital dollar that the Federal Reserve openly mints that they have been testing, and they're about to be ready to, pot, you know, have that go live and all of this stuff. So, you know, how do you get that to go live? Well, you, you crash the U.S. economy. Would they do that before the election to seal it for Biden? Will that be the, you know, the October surprise? You know, they have like the Hunter Biden emails, whatever, or for the right. And so will the left have their October surprise of a, you know, economic calamity they can blame on Trump? Because, you know, historically, if there's an economic depression, the president that's there doesn't win re-election, right? So maybe they'll do something like that, but it would play into the same overall agenda that they're, that, that they're gunning for um, at this point in time, right? And would definitely... Yeah make it, you know, a darker winter and help, you know, facilitate a lot of the, the chaos that they're trying to create um, or that they openly say that they're trying to create for the, you know, the darkest winter as, as it was uh, referred to initially um, earlier this year by Rick Bright. But it is quite yeah. alarming to see these same people responsible for the, uh, what we've reported on before, the, the dark winter simulation in 2001 and its ties to the anthrax attacks that now you have these same people claiming there's going to be a bioterrorist attack, um, you know, later this fall or in winter, that it will be the darkest winter in US history, you know, using that same, uh, you know, signal, dog whistle, whatever you wanna call it, you know, to sort of seed this out there by the same people in that network, right? All very, all very unsettling to say the least. So yeah, I think these guys know that um, the election is just the start of something else that is planned that has very little to do with, uh, you know, team red versus team blue at the end of the day. <laughs> you know, and, and you, it's an interesting point to think about. And I think it's really important for people to recognize this, that you mentioned the digital dollar aspect. And that's only one facet of an obviously multifaceted plan here. Oh, of course. <laughs> but think about if like, if they, let's say they had the digital dollar or some new system they wanted to roll out, whether it's, you know, technocratic system or about, you know, digital dollar is the best example. If they wanted to drive it in, Without all of this, it would have caused economic chaos. It would have caused the system to have all kinds of problems, you know, they possibly collapse, right? And they've known this. So you could have to ask the question on whether or not this is just a cover for these different things being rolled out. You can't switch over, switch over to a new normal, a new technocratic future, a new digital dollar, a new financial system without having some kind of downturn. But hey, how about we blame that on COVID-19? And then it's nobody's fault. Hey, in the meantime, we'll bail out all the businesses once again. Right. Well, yeah. Well, not only that, but you also have the added fact that a lot of the future proof that you have been vaccinated for COVID-19 is going to be rolled up with your ability to participate in the economy. And this yep. has already been laid out there to a significant degree. And now we see that, you know, the UK uh, just started piloting their new digital health passport, 
called the Common Pass, which it turns out that is backed by the Rockefellers and Piero Midiar, uh, you know, a Silicon Valley billionaire who owns PayPal and The Intercept, among other things, right? So, um, and, and, you know, uh, there's people from HHS apparently on the trustees. So that is definitely something that there will be a push for here in the US. And as, as we've seen from similar initiatives that are related to these digital health passports, they plan to link, uh, you know, uh, your digital wallet to those things. So we had recently had uh, the U.S. government come out, I think, a couple days ago and talk about how uh, government benefits instead of, uh, you know, for SNAP or, or food stamps and things like that will now be, you know, uh, they're looking at making that a digital dollar that's available on an app on your phone or a wallet that's tied up with some sort of ID thing. You know, it's, it's pretty clear where they're... Um, where they're trying to take this. And it seems like, um, you know, part of this vaccine agenda is is uh, very much related to uh, the economic agenda that's also going on behind the scenes because of their efforts to link those things in order to participate in the coming economy uh, that they are pushing through or the uh, com- coming monetary system that they want to implement. You will have to get the all of the doses of the COVID-19 vaccine, right? Because as we know now, thanks to Operation Warp Speed, we know that the COVID-19 vaccine will be a minimum of two doses and that you will will be tracked by Google and Oracle by still unspecified means. But, you know, we think we know what it is based on the people involved, right? But um, you will have to receive that in order to be, you know, allowed to go about your life and go about, you know, participating in the economy, to work, to have a job, all of this stuff. Um, And you have to be, you know, you will receive it. It also means you will be tracked by Google and Oracle. So what sort of implications does that have, um, you know, for for things that go far beyond uh, any sort of vaccination agenda? Clearly, there's there's more at play here, especially when you consider, you know, Google's involvement um, in, in surveilling, um, you know, these people to make sure they get that next dose and to make sure that they don't have adverse health effects from the vaccine. Of course, those are the officially, you know, uh, justified reasons, but it definitely would lead to, um, the percent, you know, uh, to get people accustomed to essentially surrendering any and all privacy in order to be able to return to quote unquote normal. Right. So I think it's, you know, a psychological war here, To an extent, oh, you want to leave lockdown, you want to leave your house, you miss how things were before, you want to go back to that, well, you have to surrender your privacy forever, and you have to, you know, get this injected into you, you have to essentially surrender sovereignty over your body to an extent, and, um, you know, and then we'll let you have this, and then that just gives these same people the opportunity down the line to dangle more carrots in front of you, oh, you want to keep... Uh, keep things the way they are. Well, you're going to have to do this now and you're going to have to do this. You know, this is the start of something honestly very sinister. And so, you know, it honestly amazes me that more people are not paying attention to warp speed when you consider that it's the same people um, that have had an agenda for years that they tried to implement after 9-11, like DARPA's Total Information Awareness Program, you know, this extreme surveillance program that was supposed to be about stopping terror uh, attacks before they could happen. 
now you've had all of this essentially retooled to prevent pandemics before they can happen. And it's the same exact agenda. And that's why in Operation Warp Speed, you see the same exact people, essentially the same offices, really, that were behind total information awareness now involved in Operation Warp Speed, operating under the utmost secrecy, secret contracts. They want to track and surveil everyone with Google and all of this stuff. Um, you know, it's uh, we were, you know, saying some not nice things about mainstream media earlier, but I honestly think independent media in a big way has really missed what should be a huge story. I agree. I agree. I mean, the, the fact that it's not surprising at all that all these aspects that they're in, are involved in all this were just retooled things that they were using to track terrorists or to monitor cattle or, you know, and they're all just being retooled and directed at us now. You know, and it's weird if you point to the total information awareness idea and then see how all the tools that were being used in that idea are simply just being redirected at us, you know, and, and as they're as the, to, to the point about the immunity passports and all of that. ID 2020 is is happening. That is coming. And it's already documented that is tied in with immunity passports for COVID-19. It's all right there in front of us. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and if that is there and they're going to uh, that going to need that in order for you to get an ID that you will need to be able to travel and, and do anything you normally did an ID for. Well, it's that's it. There's your answer. Right. That is the future they're building. It doesn't matter whether Trump makes it mandatory or anything else. It's this is being built into our society. And what we need to realize is it's not even just about COVID-19. It's just that's the excuse they're using. This is just the, the biosecurity state being built right in front of us. Right. Well, the fact that it's a health crisis allows them to pitch and more successfully sell more invasive surveillance technology than they could have gotten away with, even if the official justification was terrorism, honestly. So right. you have like with 9-11, you can justify spying on everyone's telecommunications, right? Um, and all of that saying, well, they must be communicating in secret and blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, now you have COVID-19. Um, the stuff they're getting away with is things like, um, you know, surveilling your sewage, Right. Mm -hmm. To make sure, you know, to spy on what you're ingesting into your own body. There's also this push to make people wear um, fitness wearables to see if they'll develop COVID-19. All of these are being developed by either federally funded research centers like ATI and things like that, or by the government itself or some of these Silicon Valley companies, right? Like Amazon released their new uh, very dystopian wearable and then Apple's had one for a while and, and things like that. But there's sort of this push to normalize um, those types of devices, which not only will track your location, right? Um, which is something that, you know, total information awareness wanted to do, but it will also, you know, your heart rate, um, Right, your, the tone of your voice, all of this stuff. I mean, they can justify this because they're saying it's all about public health. Um, and so I think, you know, making the battlefield the human body, which can get sick, right? right? Um, and, and making the invisible enemy a microbe has really enabled them to uh, make an even more intense and invasive uh, surveillance push than they ever could have before with any other excuse. I agree. And I mean, look at uh, Derek wrote about the parasite stress theory and how we already know numerous studies have shown that, that this whole scenario is the is exactly what a government would do if they wanted to drive you into authoritarianism or supporting it, you know, and I, I have I'm, I'm staring at a, a, a patent that I might talk about later today. And it might be even related to what you were mentioning earlier. I would show it. But just to read it out for people, I hope you look it up. It's US uh, 2020-0279585A1. And its inventor was Richard Rothschild. It's from 2020. Let me just read real quick what this is. And this is in regard, the title is System and Method for Testing for COVID-19. It says a method is provided for acquiring and transmitting biometric data 
e.g. vital signs, of a user where the data is analyzed to determine whether the user is suffering from a viral infection such as COVID-19. It says the method includes using a pulse oximeter to acquire at least pulse and blood oxygen saturation percentage, which is transmitted wirelessly, wirelessly to a smartphone. To ensure that the data is accurate, an accelerometer, uh, accelerometer within the smartphone is used to measure movement of the smartphone and or the user, and that's uploaded to the cloud. That's wow. This is a new one from 2020. Of course, inventor being Richard A. Rothschild. It's just, it's just classic, you know. And th this is something they've been working on since 2015, it appears. But then suddenly, right when it looks like it started to be reapplied, right, you know, in the middle of this, in in about May. Yeah. Well, I mean, DARPA, right? Um, over the past several decades, has been uh, pioneering a lot of the technology that we're seeing being rolled out now. Um, but there's been this huge push to use, uh, create a wearable device that will diagnose you with COVID-19 predictively, right? right. And okay. we know that Google and the military have teamed up together to do this for cancer, to predictively diagnose you with cancer. But they, you know, as I wrote about, they essentially say that it's going to be for COVID-19 later. And then ATI, um, that shady contractor that's, you know, being the third party that all these um, vaccine contracts for Warp Speed are being routed through, they um, just finished soliciting contracts. I guess they're about to war award one for something that the government wants, which is a COVID-19 diagnosing wearable that they may, you know, they'll probably mandate people to wear that if they want to go out in public or do this or do that. You know, um, there's a lot of different ways they could apply that, but it's definitely something they plan to use and they wouldn't be putting mon money into it or developing it if they didn't have plans to use it at some point. Yeah, and they're selling it, and this is the most uh, most offensive part. They're selling these things as a way to get your freedom back, right? They're arguing that COVID-19 took away your freedom, not the government actions unjustly based on things that weren't true. No, it's COVID-19, and the only way to get your freedom back is to sell your freedom to the government, right? That's ultimately what this is. You know, it's it's they took this away from you. No, no wearable device or any other thing will give it back. It's not their right to take it away in the first place. You know, it's just, yeah. it's offensive. Well, it's definitely a, a mafia tactic. It's like, oh. we've taken this by force and the only way you're getting it back is, you know, it's not paying a ransom. Now it's surrendering what remains of your privacy and civil liberties, right? So, so it's, you know, they're going to withhold something from you that is guaranteed to you by the Constitution, but they're going to withhold it from you until you do what they want. And this is what they want you to do. They want you to wear this. They want you to uh, submit to your movements being tracked to this and, and this about you being tracked, your biometric data and, and all of that, um, you know, and, and they, they'll, they'll obviously if they're starting with this, you know, oh, you have to give us. Uh, this and that so you can have your freedom they'll tack on more to that over time as, as it is convenient for them I mean this is just the start you know hashtag uh, freedom <laughs> right but there's like you know kids books about how this works you know like if you give a mouse a cookie right <laughs> well I just well I don't know <laughs> I, I just think I about that, that stuff because I have kid. a I have a toddler right so I that, I that was one of my favorites when I was a kid I don't right <laughs> but it, you know the it's true though like you, you if you start giving these people and letting these mafia tactics work and they know it works and they can herd people in this way they're they're just getting started they're gonna take this Ooh as far as they can and, and it all ultimately comes down to how how much are people going to be you know how how willing are people to put up with this stuff will they let it keep advancing i mean the time to stop all this stuff is now and the time to build alternative systems to the systems they're trying to set up 
I mean, obviously, we, we can clearly see that they're trying to, or have already, to an extent, you know, collapsed it, the systems that have existed previously and, you know, are sort of existing now, but are obviously going to collapse at some point, um, whether that's the economy or or other things. So we know, because of the Great Reset Agenda, right, they're, they're building new parallel systems that they want to be the new dominant system. So obviously while they're preparing that, the time is now, right, to create alternative systems for the people that don't want to participate in, in this creepy dystopian uh, economy of the future, right? So yeah, now is the time. Absolutely. Right. So um, is there anything else we should cover about Operation Warp Speed since that's what this podcast is nominally about? Though we've we have gone <laughs> down some other other rabbit holes, but I think it's yeah. been been a good that's, discussion. Yeah, that's the best part about a good podcast and good conversation. You know, sometimes you don't even end up getting to what you think you're going to. It's just good, good <laughs> dialogue. And, you know, I mean, I think that the end of the day, I just I hope I mean, obviously, people that are listening to this are probably adamant followers of yours. and I'm sure they're going to follow your work anyway. But I really hope people continue to follow the exposed warp speed and what working on a T lab and what Whitney's putting on unlimited hangout. This is this is the story that we should be talking about right now. And it not not even just warp speed itself, but the COVID-19 story. I mean, it at first I was wondering whether or not this, you know, should be something that we should be only focusing on, but it is clear to me in my bones I feel this this is the end game, right? This is the this is it. And we need to do everything in our power right now to call this stuff out. You know, that's that's where we need to focus on. And this is this is the this is going to amount to forced experimentation on your body and not right. maybe whether whether it's mandatory or whether it's societal exclusion financial exclusion it amounts to the same thing and that's not i mean and a point i keep making about covid in general is if, if that if that future to you makes sense because you think you're in danger I, I I don't agree with it, but I understand it. But ask yourself if you if this was hypothetically going to be like this for the rest of your life would you still be okay with what's happening now right no, that's a good point. I think that's definitely how people should start looking at this. But something that you that you brought up about the experimentation aspect, I wanted to um, point out something, and, and that's that there's this FDA uh, public-private partnership, right, that I talked about in my last article that's apparently going to be the foundation for what they're doing in, with warp speed in this, this surveillance system that's called PRISM. Um, and I forget exactly what it stands for um, off the top of my head, but it's something about... Um, post-licensing uh, surveillance. And basically this is something the FDA is planning not to, not to do just for the COVID-19 vaccine, but for a lot of their products and that they have been developing this new system whereby the FDA will now approve products without the normal expectations for safety testing not just and this is obviously applies to the COVID-19 vaccine as well but like I just said it's it's they're planning to do this for a lot of things and that they're planning to use these new pharmacovigilance uh, surveillance systems to monitor what happens uh, in people once the thing is on the market and this is something that the FDA has been developing since 2009 and they have yet to use it but obviously they've been developing it you know for n several years with the intent to use it at some point right so um very unsettling that this is you know the the fda which is supposed to be right i mean obviously it hasn't done this for a very long time you can just look you know back to what like the 70s when they approved aspartame and the whole scandal there right obviously the fda has had conflicts of interest and issues for a long time but the fact that they're making this pivot as an agency towards safety testing being done after something on, is on the market is just 
really insane. And the fact that the COVID-19 vaccine trials for Operation Warp Speed, we have Mansaf Salawi saying those those trial reports were pre are pre-written and they just plug in the data like it's Mad Libs and then they send it to the FDA and the FDA is going to approve it, but they don't really, you know, because of this new PRISM system that, that, that they're planning to roll out, they don't really care that much about the safety aspect. A lot of the studies they're going to be focus on, focusing on before approval for the COVID-19 vaccine and for future products is efficacy testing, not safety testing, because now there is this push to make uh, the American populace guinea pigs for big pharma and other products that are approved by the FDA. They're gonna do safety testing in you after they allow the thing to be sold in the market and marketed to you by your doctor or you know other, other people like that that you're supposed to trust. So this is just, you know, in any other world, a huge scandal. Yeah, well they're selling it to the people as doing your part. Right. Like and, and, uh, and the important yeah. part to see it is that they're selling it. It's it's fear based without the fear aspect. Nobody would. I mean, I would argue most people would not go along with this. They're using fear to justify the rush, to justify the lack of mm-hmm. liability, to justify ju- rushing it out and then monitoring. Right. So the argument would be in the biosecurity state of the future that all they're going to do is just simply need to just like with the past foreign policy and justifying fake news, you know, uh, false flags. They'll just need a new fear-based justification. It's oh, new COVID. You know, oh, the 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 pre the pre medical crime aspect told us it's coming. So now we have to lock down again. So now we're gonna have to rush this new thing out. And we're gonna test it in you, just like last time. And by the way, I have it right here. It's a post licensure rapid immunization safety monitoring program. Yes. Which is they're literally telling you we're gonna make sure it's safe in your body after the fact, just like you said. You know, yeah. and it's just sickening to me that this can be allowed right in front of us just because people are afraid. Right. Your 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 rights don't just suddenly become on hold because you're scared. Right. We shouldn't allow the fear of the collective masses to dictate what we're you know, that allow the government to do things to our bodies. I mean, I just can't even understand how we allow ourselves to get here. It's so incredible. Yeah. Well, you know, fear is a powerful motivator. And and it's not just fear, though. It's the fact that so many people, you know, um, are willing to continue to place their trust in people that lie to them again and again and again on the record. It's basically not that different from someone that's in a, a abusive domestic relationship, a romantic relationship. Right. Right. People making all these justifications for, oh, well, it's the government. It's not that bad. It can't be as corrupt as you say. Well, they lied that one time, but, you know, the system still kind of works. You know, no, the system is broken beyond repair. It is not doing anything to help you at this point. They are doing everything to help themselves. Just look at their coronavirus, quote unquote, relief efforts. Okay, and where all that money went. It didn't go to help you. It was a feeding frenzy for Wall Street and hedge funds and, you know, a lot of other well-connected companies that are connected to the power establishment. That's what it was. And it also allowed the Federal Reserve to make all their meetings, uh, meeting minutes uh, hidden. They don't have to publicly release them anymore. Oh, good. Okay, that totally stopped the virus and helped the average American. Seriously. All right. (laughs) Well, remember remember the BlackRock bailout, essentially the bailout plan was written before this ever started. Right. How do we? It's right. so obvious, and now essentially a a private, the largest private equity firm on the planet, essentially is controlling our financial policy in this country. Control <laughs> the Fed. I mean, that's so <sighs> incredibly alarming. And like the point you made earlier, any one of these by themselves, outside of the fear mongering COVID nineteen era, would be a huge scandal. But mm-hmm. not now because fear. 
Yeah, and that's why I honestly am just so disappointed in a lot of independent media outlets that were really capable of doing good, um, you know, dissenting reporting on things like foreign policy, like Syria, for example, and other stuff. We're really willing to call that out. But the stuff that's going on now, they're afraid and you can tell. And they are not talking about certain things because they don't want people to say they're crazy. They don't want to be called the fringe. They don't want to be deplatformed. There's a lot of different reasons. But I mean, if you think about it, I mean, that type of, if everyone was going to be motivated by that stuff and refuse to cover these stories, imagine the stuff they, you know, would be able to roll out. I mean, it's really, I think, you know, uh, necessary that independent media start speaking up because, you know, okay, they took them the last American vagabond because, you know, we're not afraid to to call it like it is, right? But that's not like, it's not like they're going to stop with us, right? Right. I mean, they're going to take down all these other independent media channels, even those that try and talk, you know, only about Biden and Trump right now because it's like, you know, good for their business model and it's a safe topic and and whatever but i mean they're they're coming for everyone so you know it's either speak up now or let things get way worse than they are now and um you know that's why i appreciate everything that you do at the last american vagabond and that you know we do as a team at t-lab and all of this stuff so um you know like you said earlier in the beginning uh, the deplatforming and all of that stuff, you know, it's really just the beginning um, uh, of a new phase that honestly I think is going to see um, a lot of this content even get an even wider reach than it did before, uh, that it's going to back backfire spectacularly for people like Google and a lot of the other unelected censors of of the internet. Uh, not unlike what has gone on with uh, Vanessa Bealey and the attempted smear of her by the BBC, that has backfired uh, spectacularly for the BBC. Um, and they will rue the day that they tried to mess with Vanessa like that, which is uh, quite quite nice to see, right? But I think it'll be like that, uh, you know, for the last American vagabond and a lot of the other people that they've been trying to, you know, take down. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I, all we can do at this point is stay positive and, and keep doing what we're doing. You know, the point is that Whitney and I and Derek and Robert, I mean, we are not afraid to stand and take the repercussions of telling the truth. Right, the truth is all that matters today, and especially if we believe we're in this NWON game and whatever else we're going to call it, then your YouTube channel should be the last thing we're worried about. You know, and it's like I get it, I understand that people are are concerned about their they, the the idea that you if you lose your financial in, in you know your financial base, then you won't be able to do it anyway. I mean, I get the logic, but at the end of the day, what matters is that we are not afraid to take take whatever they're going to give, and we're going to continue to bring you the truth in whatever way we can. I mean, to ultimately not cover this stuff because you're afraid of losing the channel is the equivalent of wearing a mask and locking down because you're afraid of what they tell you is happening, right? That's the same thing we just talked about. People are so afraid that they just allow this to continue. That's the same thing, in my opinion. You know, we just got, we got to be better than the mainstream media. We got to be better than all of this and stand up for what's right. And that's never been a better time to do that. No, exactly. Because if we don't hold ourselves to a higher standard than mainstream media, I mean, we're really just mainstream media light. (laughs) You know what I mean? And who wants to be that, right? Uh, You know, the real, um, you know, adversarial journalism going on right now is is at places like T-Lab and and other people that aren't afraid to speak truth to power. So with that being said, I want to thank you a lot, Ryan, for coming on Unlimited Hangout. Uh, That's it for us today. See you guys in a couple of weeks.